Uh, good morning. There we go. And if you are a guest, as I imagine many of you are here this morning uh, to join us in celebrating the four baptisms that we'll be doing later, then a, a very special welcome to you. For the last little while, we've been going through the book of Second Thessalonians, but with the, pastor, or with the arrival of Pastor Shedder's baby boy Owen, we thought we'd let him take a break from preaching for a few, and the deacons would fill, us, fill in. Last week, Justin Bergen introduced us to the book of Third John, highlighting verses 1 to 4. We learn the importance of the truth, that there is, in fact, objective truth, and that the truth is the authoritative word of God. This will be a theme we re revisit somewhat today as we talk about those who preach the gospel, how the local church is to receive and support them. And with that, if you'll please turn with me to 3 John, we'll be reading specifically verses 5 to 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on, the way, on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. There are four main points in this passage I would like to highlight, and we will, where we will spend the rest of our time. The first point is the unique and beautiful unity in Christ that believers have. This is displayed in verses 5 and 6 when John writes, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to the love before the church. Clearly, these traveling missionaries were greatly blessed and warmly received by many of the people in the church. People who would have been complete strangers, and yet they were invited into people's homes to be taken care of and supported in their ministry. The second point is very much related to the first, and that is the way in which we are called to bless those who preach the truth. John describes it as a matter, a manner worthy of God. That is certainly some strong language. With, while there is no gift we could give or blessing we could bestow that would truly be worthy of our God and King, it certainly paints a picture of the efforts we ought to put in when showing love to those who spread the good news of the gospel. The third point is that when we support these missionaries, we are not just giving them money so they can do the important work of advancing the kingdom of God. We become partners in their ministry, or as John puts it, fellow workers of the truth. The final point is one that Justin did a great job with last week, so I won't spend too much time on it when we get there. Um, but it is very much related to the third point, so it's worth repeating. And that is that truth matters. There is, in fact, one objective truth. And especially if we're partnering with a person's ministry of the truth, it's really important that it is, in fact, the truth. So point number one, brotherly love in Christ. And while not explicitly preached from the text, it isn't a stretch to see it in the first two verses when John writes, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially, or especially when they are strangers, and the love that they have testified, or they have testified to your love before the church. 
These men were coming into town as complete strangers to Gaius, the person who the letter has been written to. He and those who, like him, welcomed these men into their homes, fed them, fellowshiped with them, and sent them on their way with love, would have had no idea who they were before having met them in their town. Nowadays, it would be easy to meet uh, missionaries ahead of time. They could have gotten to know them through calls, emails, video calls, and have been able to build a very, fairly solid relationship and trust before they had ever arrived. For first century Christians, that would not have been possible. The best they could have been able to do is have a letter from someone they trusted. When I was a single guy, this would have been a much easier thing for me to be able to relate to. Sure, they could potentially hurt me or take my stuff, but now as a husband and a father, the idea of welcoming total strangers into my home, not just for a meal, but to stay with me and my family, as long as they're in town, would have been a, a harder challenge to, to overcome. This would have taken a great deal of love for these brothers in Christ to have been so warm and welcoming. But what could possibly cause someone to have such love for a person they've only just met? A mutual love of God. It might sound like a stretch, but it makes sense if you take the time to think about it, how easy it is to bond with someone you just met if you find out they're both, you both love the same thing. A lot of you probably know, or at least the ones who have gotten to know me while I've attended RGBC, that I'm a fairly big New England Patriots fan. If you know anything about football, you know that it's not always been the easiest being a Pats fan. Well, they're a shadow of who they were, are, they are a shadow of who they were now. Their dominant performance in the league over the last 20 years has made them either an easy team to love or an easy, easy team to hate. Most of the time, it seems latter, the latter for most people. So you can imagine my excitement when I met Darren and Shauna, who are fellow fans and enjoy them. Enjoy them. It was, it was much easier to, to get excited about them, to, to rally around them, uh, to, to encourage one another when, when, when jealous fans of less talented teams jeer you. And football doesn't even really matter that much. It's, at best, a fun pastime. Now, by contra now contrast that with an infinitely more wonderful good news, the good news of the gospel and the glory of God. And you have a bond that brings a person closer than a brother, and can overcome any obstacle. Turn, please, to Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 29. <coughs> Excuse me. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So in a very real way, since we are in Christ, we are in fact family. And so it is when family from out of town comes and finds themselves welcome in your home, so too a brother in Christ ought to be welcome. I remember when I first started attending RGBC, one of the things that made me so quickly fall in love with this church 
is the way that this love is evident in the people here. People were, were very excited to get to know new faces, to have them over for lunch and talk about real things, beautiful things, the things of God. When my family went through a rough time after the birth of our first son, the church rallied around us. Support poured in, even from members of the church. I hadn't even really got to know all that well yet. The bond within the family of God is unlike anything else. John chapter 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, lots of people have various forms of love for one another, and so the apostle clearly isn't saying that you can tell a person's a Christian if they love other Christians. What he's saying is that there's a particular type of love, a type of love that a Christian has for another Christian. And it's this love's this love that makes the second point possible. And that is that we are to send missionaries on their way in a manner worthy of God. Now, obviously, if God were to manifest himself as a person or come over for a visit, we'd likely be capable of little more than worshiping him the entire time. And John isn't telling us to worship missionaries. He's talking about hospitality. It's a lot more uh, than just boiling some freezer-burned hot dogs and slapping them over some Wonder Bread with ketchup and calling it a day. Treat them like you're actually excited to see them. That's going to look different based on what you can afford or what the situation allows for, but the point is to make them feel welcome, to take an interest in who they are and what they're doing. Romans 12, 13 instructs us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to practice hospitality. Hospitality is vitally important in the life of a Christian. So much so that it is listed among the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3. Beyond just being hospitable, John instructs us on how to send missionaries. To send them in a manner worthy of God means to take an interest in their mission and to make it a priority. Again, don't be foolish with your money, but we ought to get excited about people who commit their lives to preaching, to the preaching of God's word and the advancing of his kingdom. In Acts, when the apostles were establishing the first generation church, it wasn't unheard of for people to sell all that they had and entrust the proceeds to the apostles to be handled. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5, if you'll turn there with me, describes the excitement for the advancement of the gospel by the Macedonians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the church of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, as I was preparing this uh, message, this passage was particularly convicting for me. 
It's easy to say that you'll support missions or give more when you have more. But I wonder for how many of us that actually rings true. Sure, if you suddenly come into a bunch of money, it might be easy to give large portions of it away. Although even that would be up in the air as far as how accurate that is true. But when we work for it, either by the sweat of our brow or going to school for a long time and spending long hours, there often comes with it a sense of entitledness. It's an easy trap to fall into. The world tells you that you deserve to spend money on yourself. They call it self-care, or they tell you that you deserve it. But how often isn't it selfishness if we stop to think about it? Before anyone gets too offended, I'm preaching, myself, preaching to myself here probably more than to anyone else in the room. Someone once said to me, if you want me to tell you where your heart is, let me see your bank account. If I'm being honest, that's a bit of an embarrassing thought. It's easy to justify in our world today, especially if we compare ourselves to others who seem to be way more self-indulgent. But how do we measure up when we look at the Church of Macedonia? Paul makes it clear that they are giving beyond their means, begging for opportunities to give, and they are doing it with joy. More than better food, nicer clothes, or a more comfortable life for their family, they were passionate about the cause of Christ. They received the good news of the gospel with joy, and they knew that if anyone else was to be able to receive this life-changing news, people needed to go tell them. Turn with me to your Bibles to Romans 10, 13 to 15. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him, in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. What Paul is saying here is what the Macedonians understand, is that People are saved by the actual preaching of the gospel. By telling them of the love of a holy God, his wrath poured out on sinners, and that we are saved in Christ alone. That's why foolish slogans like preach the gospel always using words when necessary are so harmful. It's always necessary. No one is getting to heaven or into a right relationship with God by you bringing them a cup of coffee or giving them a meal. And while these things are good to do, and we should do them, it can't save someone. Being kind alone never saved a single soul. All that happens, or all that will happen, is that they will go to hell with a full belly. If you claim to show the love of God to anyone, and you feed them and clothe them and treat them kindly, but they leave without having heard that they are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and that apart from their repentance of sin and putting their faith in Christ, they are bound for hell. What good have we really done for them? 
but I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk more about that when we get to our last point. The point here is that God has chosen the preaching of the gospel to save people. And this brings us to our third point, and that is that when you support missionaries, you're not just enabling them to go out and save souls through the preaching of the gospel. You are partnering with them and doing it, as John says in verse 8, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We aren't just sending money so someone else can do the work. We are fellow workers with the truth. We have our own calling. Everyone has their own calling in life. And to help communicate this, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we'll read it together. For even as one body, or for, for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all all of the members of the body, though many, or though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Just like every member of our body serves a different purpose, but they will all work together for the whole body. I couldn't be up here preaching with my mouth if my legs hadn't brought me here. Both are necessary to accomplish the goal. So too, the missionary and the supporter are sharing in the common goal of preaching the gospel. And that means that when a lost soul finds their joy and salvation through the words spoken by a missionary that you help send, you can rejoice as if you were right there with them. When a man falls to his knees and surrenders himself to God, weeping with joy as he's liberated from a life of addiction and sorrow, you played a part in that. What a blessing! that an all-powerful God would accomplish his will, who can accomplish his will however he desires, yet he chooses to use a filthy sinner like me, not just while I'm up here preaching the word, but when I'm in my seat putting money into an offering basket. What a good God we serve. And this is one of the reasons that the fourth point is so important and why even though it was touched last week, it's worth revisiting. And that is that the truth matters. John places an emphasis here saying that we are fellow workers with the truth. He makes it clear that the gospel message that the missionaries are bringing to town is the true gospel. The beautiful truth that not only restores your relationship with God, but by the power of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit progressively liberates you from sorrow, the sorrow of sin until you've been set free entirely in heaven. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree, can, good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So then you will know them by their fruits. Here we are told to watch out that there will be men who, like wolves disguised as sheep, sneak their way into the congregation. Through their lies and deception, they seek to feed their own appetites by fleecing unsuspecting Christians. It's our job to be diligent, to watch out for wolves, to judge a tree by its fruit, the fruit that it bears. Though, as the social climate becomes in our world becomes more and more dramatically polarized and it becomes a lot easier to see people's intentions, we still have to be dutiful to keep watch. Often these men come filled with charisma, are strong leaders, and even seem to be saying most of the right things. It's truly rare to find somebody who calls himself a Christian who wouldn't say we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ according to the word of God. The trouble isn't so much what they will tell you that we are saved from, though there are often issues there if you dig a little deeper, but rather what you are saved to. For a time, admittedly, I was drawn in by the allure of the prosperity gospel. Silver-tongued preachers promised a life of happiness, filled with wealth, free from sickness, and a life of abundance in all things. Their messages were enticing, and they seemed to be able to use the Bible to support everything they said. But the deeper you dug, the more you began to see the fruit that it bears out. A life of excess, of indulgence, often built on the backs of poor people, sold on God, that sold on a God that promises them little more than the American dream. I can tell you from firsthand experience, God is not the goal of the prosperity gospel. What draws you in isn't a relationship with the source of all good. When you are deceived by the promises of the prosperity gospel, it's by the promise of health and limitless wealth and a God relegated to a genie up in the sky that you can rub with your prayers and get it all. Unfortunately, the world is filled with false gospels, fake promises of hope and salvation. And if we were to get into them all, no one would be getting baptized today. It's less important to know them all than to know the truth, though there is value in being able to defend against lies. There is definitely more value in knowing the truth. Knowing what's authentic will help you spot a forgery. But even more than that, knowing the truth sets you free to live in the truth. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ alone is the truth and the life. That means there is no other way to be saved. Being nice won't do it. Philosophy won't help. Even living a Christian life apart from Christ is absolutely useless. Nothing apart from putting your faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross will help you in the slightest. But notice what the goal is. Notice, that what, Je- notice what Jesus says is the motivation for trusting him. It's not comfort or health or freedom from addiction, or better relationships with your wife for the rest of your family, or even getting out of hell. It's the Father. Go to the Son, trust in the Son, and live your life to glorify the Son, because it's through Him alone 
that we have access to the Father. Through a sinless life and death of Christ, our sins have been paid for, and through his resurrection and ascension into heaven, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, so we are no longer enemies of God, but we have been made sons and daughter, daughters, according to 1 John 3. This is the truth of the gospel. And yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is constantly at work in our lives, conforming us to the image of Jesus, we will be set free from addiction. You will see relationships flourish, and, you will, and living according to the word of God can lead to good, th- good things like good health and financial success. But that's not the goal. The goal, as the Westminster Confession puts it, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So when you partner in the ministry of a preacher of the gospel, you must make sure that it's this gospel that they are preaching. It is the only gospel that leads to the ultimate joy and freedom from sin. And death, our ultimate joy and freedom from death and sin and to a relationship with God. It's the only true gospel. So now I have four points of application. One, there is a unity found in Christ that is unlike any other and overcomes even the greatest obstacles. Nothing else can even come close to the reconciling power of the gospel. It overcomes social divides, economic disparities, any and all conflicts, and is the only thing that can bring true and lasting reconciliation. It has the power to make strangers feel like brothers and people you barely know into your greatest supporters. The cause, point number two, the cause of Christ should be paramount in a Christian's life. It isn't a sin to desire to provide for your family with nice things or even to enjoy nice things. God has created a world of wonder and beauty for the express purpose of causing wonder and amazement at his awesome power. But the mission must always be unquestionably the mission of God to go into every nation and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all God's commands. Now, we don't have a lot of traveling missionaries who go church to church anymore. At least I haven't seen a lot come through here. Uh, And so what might that look like for us um, as Christians in the Pemina Valley, or if you've come from further away than that from wherever you are. It means, find good, it means finding good missionaries, like the ones our church supports in Cat Lake, or the church plants that our church, again, is partnering with. I think our church model does a really, really great job of uh, modeling this. We prioritize missions and church plants in addition to our own needs, but we ought to be learning from what the church's model rather than using it as an excuse not to give because the church is already doing it. I admit that that would have been a, an easy crutch for myself in the past, um, but have been very convicted by this sermon as I've taken the time to write it. When we support, application number three, when we support ministers of the truth, we are not just sending money to people who are doing the work. We are partnering with them in doing the work itself. The reality is that traveling and living 
and especially in remote areas, cost a lot of money. And without the support of faithful Christians, this type of work couldn't happen. A fourth and final point is that truth is important. When you partner with somebody, you are affirming what they are doing. If that's preaching the truth, then you have a cause for joy. But it must not be some version of the truth or their truth. It must be the truth. In a world filled with influencers, supposed preachers saying whatever you would like them to say, it's easy for our itching ears to lead us away to a very well-spoken visionary or a strong leader, hammering our favorite hobby horse. But we need to be as the Bereans were in Acts chapter 17.10. You can turn there if you'd like. Be reading to verse 12. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica, for they, re- for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a great number of prominent Greek women and men. When a person came to the Bereans, claiming to preach the truth, rather than just taking it at face value, they examined it according to the scriptures, and were commended for their dutiful submission to the word of God alone. So in closing, if you're here and you've been deceived by some version of the truth, or if for some reason or another you've never heard the truth at all, at all, you can find liberty in the true gospel this morning. You can have a right relationship with God. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, and you can walk in the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, please come talk to me after the service. I would be happy to get to know you and hear how God's working in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would study it diligently, that we would be like the Bereans, that we would know it well. We know that it is not only the truth, but the truth by which all other claims of truth are measured. We thank you that you have sent your son to die in our place, so that through him we can receive forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with you. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us to love one another, see the beautiful truths that we have in common. I pray that the Holy Spirit would put into each of us a passion for the gospel, to see the truth proclaimed and believed in the whole world. In Jesus' name.